as you guys all know, Thanksgiving is approaching. And for every person that went, oh great, I'm gonna get a message on Thanksgiving, how boring. Uh, Wow, the kids are having so much fun, I love that. (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, Don't let that distract you. When you hear it, just let it celebrate in your heart that there's children worshiping in the house of the Lord today. (laughs) So this is what I wanna talk about. Most of us in this room, our understanding of Thanksgiving is we'll all sit around the table and then we'll kind of like say the thing we're thankful for, right? Thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my car. I'm thankful for my dog. I'm thankful for my son. I'm thankful for food on the table. Most of us understand Thanksgiving or gratitude in the the context of lists. Lists or items or material things that we can hold or maybe even friendships so we can kind of go through the list. I'm not downplaying that at all today. That is beautiful and lovely to recount the things in our life that we are thankful for. As a matter of fact, when I lie down on my son's bed at night to pray for him and to process his day with him, because that's what we do, (laughs) when we are processing his day, I will always say to him, what are you most thankful for today? So it's powerful, and it's a good habit to form. So hear me when I say, I am not minimizing when you sit around your Thanksgiving table saying you're thankful for a house and a car. But what I want to talk about today is gratitude in a biblical context and gratitude as a lens by which we view the entirety of our lives. The perspective by which we view every circumstance in our life and the emotional reality on how we process life. Do you see the distinction between lists and items that you can be thankful for, but the entirety of the lens that you view your life through? And so what I want to talk about today is, first and foremost, we're going to actually look at the life of Paul. We're going to look at some of the writings of Paul. But before we can go to the, and we'll specifically go to the book of Philippians, but this is what I want to say. Before we look at the strong, and let's be honest, Paul has very strong language about thanksgiving. There, there is a lot of the, the language of thanksgiving found in his writings. And specifically, for those of you that don't know, the book of Philippians, when he wrote it, he wrote it from prison. It's speculated that it was actually written from a Roman prison. So when you're reading it through the lens of this man was imprisoned when he's writing this language... And when he's conveying this message, it changes everything. Because he's not writing it from a perspective of prosperity or seeming success. He's not writing it from a posture of ease and safety and comfort. He's writing it from a posture of suffering and hardship and imprisonment. So we are going to look at the book of Philippians. But before we even get to the book of Philippians, I actually want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 11. 23 through 28, and this is just a little snapshot of Paul's experiences. It's a little snapshot of Paul's reality so that we can understand the context of when Paul is writing his experiences and the experiences that he's writing from. Actually, while you're turning there, I'm going to grab this.
2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. <clears throat> Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes, above measure, in prisons, more frequently, in deaths, more often. <clears throat> From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches. I would venture to say that Paul really had an unparalleled life of suffering. And so one of the things that I actually want to talk to you about today is gratitude and living from the posture of gratitude even in the midst of trial and difficulty. And I, I, I want to um, preface what I'm going to share with you today by saying I am in no way minimizing suffering. I am in no way minimizing hardship. I am in no way minimizing the pain that each one of us in areas of our life carry. And there might actually be some of you today that are like, I don't actually feel like I have that much pain to process in my life. This is what I'm going to say to you. That as a believer in Jesus Christ, the older that you get in life and the more you walk the journey of life, even if you yourself do not suffer devastating loss, you will be surrounded by other people who do. So even if you don't feel like this word can specifically apply to you today in areas of suffering and hardship, I'm going to say there will be people in your life that you have to process great pain with. And I, I would even venture to say, I will say, Daryl and I happen to have a very vast, wide pool of friends. I mean, a large amount. And even when I was thinking about this message, in our own lives, the people that we have walked with, one of, we flew down for a funeral, one of our friends, his 10-year-old son was tragically taken in a sudden car accident, completely foolish and needless car accident but taken in a moment. We flew down for a funeral. I have another friend that she could not carry children full term. When she finally did, she made it to her ninth month and delivered a severely deformed child that was not viable and did not live. When she finally conceived again, she did give birth, and that child lived for four days. She has something genetically inside of her that she is not able to create and bear children with healthy bodies and cells. I can tell you if we've watched women carry children for full term only to, to deliver stillborns. 
We've had other friends, their children die of SIDS. The amount of, just in our little life, other friends lose, like in our teenage years, friends lose parents at 14, 15 years old and watching the tragedy. The tragedy of life is a very, very real part of life. But how we process and how we respond to tragedy is the defining factor of our life. Because can I say this to you this morning? Tragedy does not have to destroy you. It may break you. That is okay. Brokenness is okay. There might be places of wounding that you carry, a a, a place of a scar because of tragedy. But guess what? The defining factor that I've seen in our friends that have risen up and gone on to love Jesus and live lives of health, the defining factor is how they process tragedy. Because we have other friends who may have even had Jesus prior to tragedy, but through tragedy in the way that they've processed, have now been given to lives of addiction and lives of despair and lives of even increased hardship because of life choices after tragedy. And so this is what I want to say to you. I guess somewhat as a mom this morning, there are three ways that we see Paul specifically process the hardship of his life. And how many of you guys know Paul was triumphant? Paul was an overcomer. Paul was victorious. So for you being victorious in this life has nothing to do with the hand that is dealt to you. You being victorious in this life has nothing to do with whether you are able to uh, skirt around difficulty and hardship and skate around it or whether you become someone that almost feels as though you're a victim to it. You being an overcomer and being victorious and triumphant in this life has everything to do with understanding that Christ is your treasure in the midst of difficulty and hardship. That you being grateful does not mean that you are grateful for the suffering. It does not mean that you are, there are many things in my life. I am not grateful for the source of my pain, but I am grateful that I found the riches of Christ in the midst of my pain. So you can, this is where our gratitude lies. We never rejoice in the devastation of a lost child. We never rejoice in the devastation of a a parent that was taken prematurely. We never rejoice in disease. We never rejoice in hardship. Paul is not rejoicing in those things specifically. He's rejoicing in the fact that Christ is sufficient in the midst of our pain. That is what we are grateful for. There's three things, and these are, I'm going to say this to you. We're going to find them scripturally, so don't feel like I'm just giving you a good self-help talk today. (coughs) But our family recently walked through something, and I actually said to Daryl, I never realized how many friends we have, because as we were walking through it, I actually said to him, this isn't really something I want to process externally yet. (laughs) I was like, I'd like to just like tuck this here and work this out. But in the course of a, a week's time, the amount of friends that we have nationally, internationally, every which way... I would get a text and I would say, they have no idea what's going on. I either ignore this text or I have to respond transparently because they're my friend (laughs) and they need to know. But can I say something to you? There's three things that I would respond to all of those deep friends when they would say, how are you doing? Number one, I would say, 
God owes me nothing. He owes me absolutely nothing. He has given me everything I need in the person of Jesus Christ. He does not owe you a house. He does not owe you a car. He does not owe you a spouse. He does not owe you children. He does not owe you success. He does not owe you a viable career. He does not owe you a life of luxury and ease. He does not owe you a name. He does not owe you a ministry. He does not owe you a career. He owes you nothing. And when we let go of our list of what we feel as though God owes us, all of a sudden we are able and free to receive who he is to us. God owes you nothing. And you know the amazing thing is that when we are suffering devastation and loss and despair, most oftentimes it's because we believe, God, you owe me. How could you take this from me? Why would you give only to take away? I've watched that with friends of mine that have delivered stillborn children. Why would I go nine months carrying a child that I'm not then able to raise? Where is God in that? Can I say where God is in that? You may never understand the tragedy of that lost. But can I tell you something? If you'll let go of the fact that God owes you something, you will find a richness and fellowship with Christ that you've never known before. Because God owes you nothing. And number two, all you really have need of is more of him. When these areas of loss in our lives begin to define us, guess what? It's because you actually believe that you need that for happiness. Somewhere in our belief system, we have a belief system of this is what I need to be happy. I need my family to look this certain way. Oh, no, 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 no. You can be happy even if your family does not look that way. I need this certain economic class in my life, this certain quality of living. Oh, no, 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 no. What you actually need is more of Christ. Can I tell you something? The more our eyes are fixated on what we need, it reveals that our eyes are not fixated upon Christ. And so this is what I want to say to you about suffering and about hardship today. I am not minimizing the sting of pain and loss But what I am saying is that you cannot fix your eyes and fixate upon that area of your life. Your fixation must be Jesus Christ. And when we find ourselves in emotional turmoil and we kind of can't get out of that place of distress and brokenness, it's because we've been fixated upon the wrong thing. And once again, we have to realign our focus and our attention to be fixated upon the man Christ Jesus. And then thirdly, which we'll see in scripture today, is Paul's hardship and, and, and difficulty that he went through. There's no minimizing your hardship and your difficulty, but that it is that Christ is sufficient. And that oftentimes when we make that struggle the central theme of our life, what we're declaring is that Christ is not sufficient and enough. But we need him and we need these additional things. So this is, um, <clears throat> we read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. And now I actually just want you to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. 
So prior to this, I'm not going to read all of it. <clears throat> prior to this is actually where Paul is kind of just talking about all of the revelation that he's received. He's kind of talking about the, the grace of God and what God has given to him. And then he goes on to say, and lest that I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of, of, of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure concerning this thing that I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. That is so contrary to our Western way of thinking. Taking pleasure, and this is why I'm saying when we're grateful actually for the thing that wounds us, because we're not actually grateful for the wound, we're grateful that it makes us greatly, greatly dependent upon him. So this place of his infirmity, it was actually the place that he began to know his need to rest upon and to rely upon the strength of God. And this is why even the suffering and hardship of your life, you can rejoice and even be grateful for because it's the very source that causes greater dependency. Can I say this to you? The reason I do not believe that God is mostly concerned about our comfort is because he's after us. And oftentimes, our comfort and our ease in this life, it only distracts us and it numbs us to him. But do you know that when our son was suffering with four years of disease and other areas of loss in our life, those are the moments I do not enjoy those at all. But, oh, but you know what I do say? Is, oh, that my heart is tenderized in those seasons. Oh, that I'm wounded and I'm afflicted with my need for more of him. Because otherwise, you can go about the busyness of your your successful, prosperous life and be distracted with the fact, I must have more of God. We lose sight of that so easily. So your infirmity, you know, for some of you today, it is not a physical disease that you have. Some of you may have a physical disease. There's others of you that there might be family hardship that you're facing. There's others of you, financial hardship. This is the mystery of finances. I I will never understand. Finances are so spiritual. You can make the same amount of money, and for some reason, when perspective and heart and alignment comes, all of a sudden, that really, really tight budget, they have to work so hard to pay all the bills and do all the things, all of a sudden, not like there is an abundance coming in more, but all of a sudden, there's a place of freedom and liberty that it no longer feels so burdensome. It's mysterious. And that is most of the areas in our life that there's hardship and difficulty. This is the mystery you may not understand. We were recently processing something with our son, and he, he always has such great perspective. I love my son's perspective. And he has great, great perspective. And then I, I watched him. He asked a question. It was kind of a dangerous question when he said it. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't have an answer to that, nor is there an answer to that. That's a mystery. 
And I remember I, I didn't want to be too quickly to answer because we were also talking and praying and things like that. And very quickly, my son said, I don't need an answer to that. I might never know why, but I'm okay with that. Can I tell you something this morning? Gratitude is robbed from us when we live from a posture of entitlement. Entitlement that we deserve or demand understanding. And I'm going to give you a little picture of entitlement here. How many of you guys know in Luke 22, it's actually where Jesus is at the Last Supper with the disciples? I mean, this is, this is like, let, let's think about this for a second. It's the Last Supper with Jesus before it's the night that he'll be betrayed. He's taking the bread. He's taking the cup. I mean, what a holy moment. Like, you get, to, you get to be one of those ones that sit at the table of Jesus the night before he's betrayed. And he's, like, laying the whole thing out for me. He's like, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that's going to be shed for you. Like, he's going through the whole thing. And what erupts from the disciples? What erupts from the disciples? Not, wow, Jesus, I'm so glad to just be at this table or even in this room. Like, this is profound. This is amazing. There's no amount of awe and wonder of the gift of God that is in their midst and what he is about to endure in the sacrifice. There, there arises a, a dispute amongst them of who is greatest. <laughs> that, that might sound like a, a very dramatic analogy to you, but this is what I'm going to say to you. That is precisely what we do as believers when instead of marveling at the gift of salvation and, and the gift of Christ that we possess, instead it's right there in our midst and it's among us and we have received the greatest gift and instead we're saying, but I actually want something more. I want to be the greatest. So I want you and I need. I want you and this is another thing that I'm now demanding of you. We become like whiny children, <laughs> That instead of actually acknowledging the gift that is before us and celebrating with gratitude what's in front of us, we have a place of this is my demand and this is what I want. And that is ultimately what defines us in, in challenges, in tragedy, in suffering in our life is we have a set of expectations on how it was supposed to go. We have an idea in our head of this is how it's supposed to be. This is what my life should look like. And, it, and I'm going to tell you something right now. Most of us, it is not gospel-centered. Our expectation of what our life should look like is not centered around the gospel. It's centered around a Western reality of what we are entitled to, of what blessing looks like for us, about how it's supposed to go for us. And the amazing thing is, is when we let go of our expectation of what it's supposed to be, and instead we receive the portion that Christ has given to us. And sometimes I'll say this, I don't believe it's that Christ has given it, but he's even allowed it. He's just allowed it. And guess what? If he has allowed it, his grace is sufficient for you in the midst of that. And anything less than celebrating the gift of his grace in the midst of that is demanding that he must give you something else. How many of you guys are familiar with Job chapter 38? Want to talk about a life of suffering? There you go, Job. 
You think you got it hard? Just go read through that book. But somehow we think, that's not my portion. That was Job. <laughs> that's not what God does to his beloved. We think we're entitled to something different, right? But there you have Job. And God says to him, he said, are you prepared? Because now I'm going to question you, Job. He says, where were you when I formed the heavens? Where were you when I formed the earth, Job? Where were you when I put the stars in their place and I put the ocean and I told it how far that, that ocean could roar and set a boundary line? Where were you, Job? The fact of the matter is we are finite, we are small, we are carnal, we are earthly, and we do not possess all wisdom. But there is one who does. And the greatest thing that we can do is worship him in the unknown. That even when we don't understand, we choose to worship him. That even when we don't get, I imagine, this is how I imagine heaven to be. I imagine we'll endlessly worship, but I, I imagine our endless worship, yes, it will be from seeing him, but all of a sudden we'll begin to see rightly. We'll begin to see rightly the circumstances of our life that we did not understand, but he has eternal perspective and he sees it from an entirely different lens than we do. That he is all-knowing and that we may not understand the beginning from the end, but that in his wisdom, we can trust him. And so I want to challenge you this morning that even in the areas of our life that there's hardship, it may be a relational thing with a parent. I mean, each and every one of us, we have that thing in our life that we just say, if God would just remove this, if God would just change this. I'm going to ask you this question, what if he does not? Can you have a biblically centered view of your life? Even if that hardship remains, is he enough? And is he ultimately all you need? Or are there terms and conditions that this must change in order for me to be satisfied? Because he owes us nothing. And all we truly need, I know this, for some of you are like, that's not true. <laughs> all we really need is more of him. But can I tell you something? I had a moment a couple of weeks ago where I was like, I think you hate me. <laughs> I just, I, sorry if that's too honest. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Part of the reason I continually go from glory to glory with the Lord is I'm totally honest. <laughs> I had this moment of, I just think you hate me, because why? Why? And I can remember in that moment, hearing the voice of God say to me, you do, that is not what you need. You need more of me. And I remember in that moment, I thought, it did not take away loss or pain or any of those things. But you know what it did? It put my life in perspective. Of going, you can take it all. I adore my husband. He's the greatest person on the planet. Yeah, thank you. I adore my son. He's the treasure of my heart. 
I love my little bungalow. It's like a place of refuge and safety in the presence of God. We, lo we love it. It's small, but we like love it. It's a haven. I love Hilltop Church. I love J-Hop Boston. I love the work that I get to do. But guess what? He can take it all. He can take it all. And even with those things removed from my life, Christ is enough and Christ is sufficient. He is the purpose. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the, he is the reason for waking up in the morning. I love my child, but my child is not. And this is the challenge that we face as believers, is we can say that Jesus is everything, but in the midst of when things do not go your way. Because for some of you, it might not be defined as devastating loss or the, the loss of a spouse or a loss of a child or those things, but just simply things do not go your way. The question that truly reveals if Christ is enough, can you have gratitude in the midst of it not going your way? No, I'm not saying gratitude over that circumstance. I'm saying gratitude in the gift of Jesus Christ, that he is enough, that he is sufficient in the place of that need and of that want. So this is where Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. He's saying this is what God spoke to him. My grace is sufficient for you, <clears throat> for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. The charismatic world, we curse the infirmities. We bind, muzzle, gag the infirmities <laughs> as the devil. <laughs> We have a belief system that God would never allow, permit, or desire, that it's not his perfect will. And instead, we need to understand that he is allowing them because there's something greater that he actually wants to get a hold of in our life. And that is, he is all in all. That he is sufficient. That he is the most glorious, and with or without anything else, he is enough. Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 11 be anxious for nothing, but in everything. You should highlight, circle, underline, explanation point. Do whatever you need to do in your Bible for that. But in everything. That doesn't mean just in the blessings of the car, the house, the child, the dog. In everything, give thanks. Do you know what that looks like? That's not saying, thank you, God, for cancer. That's saying, God, in the midst of my cancer, thank you that you are revealing Christ to me and that Christ is more than enough. This earthly body is not my treasure, but Christ is my treasure. Do you see the distinction between those places of being able to give thanks in the midst of? Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You want to know something? You're lacking peace today. It's because you're not giving him thanks in all things. It's because you're discontented and you're striving against the realities of your life. 
instead of rejoicing and finding pleasure in Christ in the midst of the places of our struggle. Now that I speak in, reg- now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you hear what Paul's saying? He's saying that in an abundance, I can rejoice. Can I just say this to you? Paul's abundance looked nothing like your abundance. (laughs) Even Paul's abundance was far less than our modern Western world's abundance. His abundance is what probably you would consider lack. Even in abundance. Or if I abase in any place, and this is what I'm going to say to you, he's saying that I can be content. You know why he can be content? Because he's content in Christ alone. Let me ask you this this morning, friends, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, is your contentment in Christ alone? Or is your contentment when circumstances go your way? Is your contentment when when relationships go your way? Is your contentment when you get the promotion that you deserve? Is your contentment surrounded around you receiving the blessings that you feel as though you are entitled to? And then all of a sudden, when it's not going that way, you're discontented, you're angry at God, and you're angry at the world. Instead, Paul says, give thanks in all things. Your contentment, friend, is found in the place of gratitude. Your contentment is being grateful for the person of the man Christ Jesus and making him the chief object of your affections, not the circumstances of your life, not what is given and not what is taken away. but that your central affection is upon the man Christ Jesus. How does suffering and adversity work for our good? It creates an increased awareness and dependency upon Christ. It tenderizes our callous, cold hearts. It causes us to treasure what is most dear, which is the cross of Christ. I'm just seeing if there's any other. Actually, let's let's close with um, Philippians 3.8. We're actually going to read Philippians 3.8, 10 through 12. Beautiful Paul, as he's writing from prison. Let's hear Paul's words. From a prison cell. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, this morning, I in no way want to paint a picture that God's desire for us is that we would suffer. But I also want us to understand from looking at the life of Paul that we should not despise suffering, but we should actually see it and use it, and I'll I'll just say we should weld it in our lives as a tool, as a tool that actually can cause us to grow in an increased knowledge of Christ and an increased relationship with Christ. Hear me, we're all going to celebrate the holidays. I have all the same warm fuzzies you do. We go to Daryl's side of the family from one to four, and we, he's got one of five siblings, and it's loud and chaotic, and it's a big family. It's all the holiday feels, and everybody plays Pocino and wins prizes. It's so fun. And then we go to my side of the family, and if you know anything about my family, it is a little idyllic. Like we, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but my parents are amazing. I'll just say that. My brother's don't necessarily walk with Jesus, but we all love each other. We respect each other. We, we actually have good relationships. Like, it's pretty mysterious, right, in this day and age. We enjoy our families. I'm going to put up my Christmas tree. I'm actually going to put garland on my mantle. I do own a home, so I'm not at all saying that God does not give us good gifts. I, own, I love my home. <laughs> there is lots of beauty that surrounds my life. God does bring beauty in our lives. But the mystery in our culture and in our world is that somehow we have an obsession with blessing and prosperity. We'll receive that from the hand of God. But we despise any, and part of it is a very Western experience because if you go to other parts of the world, and if you talk to Christians from other parts of the world under persecution, guess what? God does not hate them. God loves them. He's committed to them. Their suffering has nothing to do with the lack of God's love and provision. Do you want to know something? I pray for great revival for America. I believe for great revival for America. But do you want to know globally the nations that are experiencing great revival and the explosion of the church are where there's persecution? Guess what? From the life and the testimony of Jesus, he did not run away from persecution. He did not fear hardship because guess what? His eyes were upon something greater. See, this is what is miraculous and powerful is that when our eyes are upon something greater, suffering and difficulty cannot destroy you. Suffering and and difficulty is only crippling when your eyes are upon yourself and upon circumstances. But when your eyes are upon something greater, and that is the man Christ Jesus, there is no amount of difficulty or hardship that can destroy or even take away from your life. What can man do to me? Man may harm the outward body, the physical body. This this very life, there may be external difficulties, but there is an internal reality that is the greatest reality of your life. And when you treasure Christ inwardly, there is a richness of Christ inwardly that nothing externally can rob you from the pleasures of knowing him.
and that is what he desires for you, more than a new car, more than a new house, more than a spouse, more than a child, more than a degree, more than a successful career, is that we would treasure Christ inwardly. I'm going to leave you with one last passage of scripture that I've been meditating on recently, Psalm 59:16. And for those of you guys that know, the psalmist David, he had great hardship and difficulty in his life. Uh, he was being pursued to be killed by Saul. That's lovely, right? Anybody here being pursued to be killed? And, <laughs> and David's declaration is, I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense, a refuge in the day of my trouble. The extraordinary thing is God does not promise you a life without trouble. God does not promise you a life without difficulty or hardship. What God does promise you is that he will be a refuge for you in the day of your trouble. And what you have to be grateful for this Thanksgiving is that you know Christ, that you walk with Christ, and that you can find a refuge in your day of trouble. That there is a source that is so much greater than external circumstances. And so this is what I want us to do. As much as I, I love that you'll have lists on Thanksgiving, I want us for, as a people to live our lives from a different perspective. That not just in the blessings and when God gives us our way, that's so fun. But when we don't get our way, that we're able to have an eternal perspective and treasure the man Christ Jesus, that we would not be like the disciples who are sitting at the table in the midst of Jesus, the greatest gift that's ever been given. And instead of rejoicing in the gift in front of them, they're demanding more. And oftentimes that is the entirety of our lives. We have the greatest gift that's been given to us. And instead of treasuring and relishing and rejoicing in that gift, we are demanding more and wanting more. And our eyes are fixated on what it is that we think that we need. But I am going to tell you this morning, whatever it is that you're holding in your hand before God, either demanding or thinking that you need, that is not what you need. What you need is more of Jesus. And the beautiful thing is he's made himself accessible to us. And like I said before, I am not minimizing suffering and hardship. But all I know in my life is that even in the midst of pain and loss, when I begin to treasure Christ, that he is all I need. All of a sudden, the perspective of my circumstances change. All of a sudden, in the midst of hardship and pain, I can still find joy. It doesn't take away the hardship and the pain, but I'm able to find a greater source of joy to walk through hardship and pain. And that is his promise to you. And the greatest thing that we have to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. So we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to worship Jesus in the midst of some of our mysteries <laughs> of life and loss and hardship. And this is what I want to say to you this morning. Is first and foremost, we do not want to leave this place without giving an opportunity for salvation. That there's some of you this morning, as I'm talking about Jesus, you do not know this man. You are not walking with Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus changes everything. 
When he steps upon the scene of our lives, everything changes. And first and foremost, we are sinners that are hopeless and helpless without Jesus. There's no amount of good that resides in us. No amount of degree or finance can beautify your life and make you redeemable and worthy to stand before God. But the gift of Christ Jesus, he is who qualifies us. He is who sanctifies us so that we can have a relationship with God, which is what we were created for. So